Welcome to For the Love of Brantford, a podcast about the evolving story of our community. This podcast is for everyone who holds a place in their heart for our beautiful city. I'm Nathan Etherington, the Program and Community Coordinator for the Brant Historical Society. I'll be sharing some information from the Brant Historical Society archives and other sources to share some history that you may not have learned in school. And I'm Andy Samwell, president of the Eagle Place Community Association, and I'm passionate about community. And for me, you'll hear about what's happening in our community now. And I'm Zila Ozels from the Brantford Public Library. I'll be speaking with experts to get an idea of where our community is going. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, fill in our feedback form on the podcast website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB. We hope you join us each episode as we learn from each other and explore Brantford's past, present, and future. This is the full interview between myself, Zila, and Dana and Nicole about library usage. introduce yourselves. Hi, Zila. Uh, my name is Dana Sachuk. I am a professor of sociology uh, at Wilfrid Laurier University. And my name is Nicole Dalmer. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Health, Aging and Society at McMaster University, and I'm also the associate uh, director of the Gilbrea Center for Studies on Aging. Yeah, and we should we should also say that um, the other collaborator and, and co-author on our project uh, is Mina Lee, and she's a graduate of the Master of Arts program in sociology, um, also from Wilfrid Laurier. Can you please tell us about your research uh, about library usage among older adults? Our project is about how older adults in Ontario, so people over the age of 55, use libraries, and, and particularly how and why they use libraries to access magazines. Um, we also looked at how that library access and magazine access and reading changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so this was a project that actually arose from some previous research that Mina and I conducted on older women and, and how they read and use women mag women's magazines in, in particular. Um, and when we interviewed women over the age of 55 for that study, we found that many of them got most or all of their magazines at their local public library branches. And so since that was a, a finding that really stood out to us, we, we wanted to expand our study to, to look at library users of all genders and, and see how they use public libraries to read all sorts of magazines and not just women's magazines. So it was at that point where we invited Nicole to join us because of her background in library and information science and also because of her expertise in aging studies. And I was thrilled to be invited. You know, as Dana just mentioned, my background is in library and information science and I've worked as a librarian, uh, but my research and, you know, my current position is really focused on gerontology and and. Uh, experiences in later life. So I've really enjoyed kind of fusing these two interests in my research. And so, you know, in addition to the amazing work that um, I've been able to work with, with Dana and with Mina, 
Um, I've also been working on a, another project um, that's called Aging in Place with Public Libraries. So really, I'm interested in, in learning from older adults um, how the public library factors into their everyday life to really understand how public libraries and especially public library branches can be spaces of social connection and social inclusion among older adults who are living in the community because we know that social isolation and social exclusion are so prevalent in the general population as well as amongst older adults as well and this has only been heightened during the pandemic as well and so uh, as part of this project um, I've spoken with 51 older adults living around Ontario both in urban and, and rural environments just to really understand how do they use their public library how does it factor in to their everyday life and, and why do they use it? Was there anything surprising that you found in any of the research you've been doing on older adults? Yeah, so in the project that Nicole, Mina, and I have been working on, um, what we found was that, you know, even though, you know, magazine reading and using the library to access magazines um, were really important to our study participants and, and to their leisure practices, um, when the pandemic hit and, and libraries closed their, their physical doors, most of the people we talked to did not shift to uh, reading the digital magazines that the libraries were offering. Um, most of them actually stopped reading magazines altogether, uh, even though magazine reading was generally a regular and very important part of their weekly routines. And, you know, I, I guess here I want to stress that, you know, most of the people we talked to clearly had um, considerable technological abilities. You know, most of the participants contacted us via email and they talked about their technology usage in other parts of their lives. Um, but you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, most of them strongly preferred to read the hard copies of their magazines. Um, and so when those copies weren't available through their library, um, they actually didn't turn to buying magazines or to subscribing to magazines. Um, they, they simply stopped reading them all, all together, which, you know, again, given the role that these uh, publications had played in their lives was was um, was rather surprising. I suppose the key surprising finding from my you know conversations with older adults and, you know, a lot of my conversations uh, really focused on some of the changes that the pandemic ha had brought, you know, especially contending with a lot of the public library closures. Um, I guess similar to the findings from the magazine study that Dana was just referencing, the older adults I spoke to, uh, not one of the 51 attended any of the online programming that public libraries worked so hard to put on and, you know, really pivot from in-person to online programming during the, the pandemic. Um, and and much like the older adults we spoke to in the magazine studies, these older adults, I you know they could they were quite adept uh, technologically. I think we make a lot of assumptions about older adults and their tech, technological prowess. But I was meeting with them on interviews over Zoom, so they could easily uh, wield their their Zoom savviness. Uh, but they really wanted those programs to be in per person and they were willing to to wait until the pandemic was finished, which at the point of the interviews, we weren't sure when when the pandemic would finish, although I would say it's still not finished. Um, but I think it really speaks to the importance and the value and the role of both, you know, digital library services and in-person or physical library services in the lives of, of older adults. Um, but 
we need to really be mindful that these services are not interchangeable. I think they have different um, benefits, different drawbacks. And, you know, as we're contending with this kind of post lockdown, as we're thinking about, um, you know, hybrid solutions, I think we really need to be mindful of what resonates best for, for older adult patrons. And that might not necessarily be continuing online. Although it's so hard because I think we can't also make blanket statements. Some folks, you know, might really, really enjoy uh, online programming, especially for older adults who might be in more rural uh, locations or who might be, you know, experiencing some mobility challenges for whom, you know, getting to the library in person might be difficult. Or in the winter months when, you know, driving or walking can be treacherous for anyone of any age, they might want to be, uh, you know, attending those programs uh, online. So I think it really um, boils down to speaking with the different communities that public libraries are serving, um, including the older adult communities to figure out what best resonates and suits their, their needs at particular points in time. I find that interesting. I can only speak anecdotally, but our digital numbers went way up in terms of what was circulated. Uh, but we definitely found that for our online programs, the audience was completely different than our regulars that would come in person. So that's kind of interesting to hear. <laughs> how those, that research um, aligns with what we were seeing. So through your research, I mean, it's kind of already been talking about how libraries do support older adults in different ways. Um, but I guess what are kind of the main ways that libraries support older adults? I think like library services and engagement across the life course libraries really enable the everyday and and that means different things to different older adults um what we found in our conversations is that uh, libraries really support leisure that might be uh, different interests or hobbies and these can be new hobbies or hobbies that have really uh, or interests that have really followed that person throughout their life course and this is you know not only through the collections and materials but through different programming you know thinking about perhaps painting or or book clubs or things like that um, I think the library supports older adults in either facilitating or really sustaining social connection. And this can be in multiple ways. You know, you can have those intentional uh, meetings at the library where you meet a friend for, for a coffee or, or a chat. Or the library also facilitates, I think, those inadvertent social connections to bumping into someone or even um, being able to build relationships with library staff. I know a lot of the older adults that I spoke with really valued um, staff members who, who know them and might be able to recommend a new book or who can say, you know, if they see them, oh, such and such book has just come in. And I know because staffing was really varied over the pandemic, um, some of the older adults I spoke to um, really missed getting to see kind of the, the regular staff that they would, were used to seeing pre-pandemic. And I think the library also really facilitates social connection in terms of intergenerational relationships. Um, not only, you know, if you have an all ages program, but also thinking about grandparents who are bringing their grandchildren to different programs. Also mentioned, are, I think, are the practical elements um, that libraries facilitate access to. So thinking about printers and, and photocopiers, you know, having computers or, or Wi-Fi for folks who might not have those tools at home or for whom, uh, you know, budgets might be tight and they don't have um, heaps of data to be able to use at home so they can head to the library for that. Um, and I think in our research, both in, in, in speaking with older adults in the magazine study and in my, my own work, 
library space is really crucial. Um, you know, it's a place where folks can can stop on their daily walks, you know, pick up a magazine, take a break. And I think, too, we're seeing more and more um, the library being an important place for kind of weather sheltering in a way. It's a it's a warm place when it's really cool outside as we're heading into our winter months now. And and in the summer, it, it's certainly a, a reprieve from from the heat, especially in southern Ontario. And not all folks are able to afford or, or have access to air conditioning at their homes. Can either of you speak to kind of if or how library usage changes through someone's life? Um, I guess my, my answer will be pretty short and sweet to this one. I, you know, I think different facets of the library, especially when we think of the library as a community hub, will resonate with patrons at different stages of life. And I, so I really think that where you are in life will reflect your library use. I can see this in programming. You know, I'm, a lot of the older adults I've spoken to, they still remember bringing their young children to story times or, or different activities when they're young. Um, and, and sometimes in speaking to folks who are really engaged in, uh, you know, in their career, they might have less time to, to really utilize the different services that libraries have. Um, but I think, you know, throughout the life course, the library can really serve your your interests whatever that might be at, at different life stage so I think it just might really depend on where you are in life and what other activities and responsibilities you have on but I think there's this you know common thread in in speaking with older adults that they always know the library is is there you know so many of them call the library their their friend so they they know that it's this constant I suppose in their life that they can visit uh, whenever it works best or, or is most suitable for them. Yeah, and I think I think the question really gets also to a, a point that we heard repeatedly uh, in our interviews uh, in the magazine study, which was that you know people um, were often lifelong users of the library, like using the library 20, 30, 40, you know, 50 years, right? And, and so um, that 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 was part of um, the importance of the library, you know, even if the how they use the library shifted over their lives, the the importance and the constant role of the library in their lives was 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 a theme that um, that came up. Um, in terms of using magazines, what was interesting was that um, sometimes people would talk about, um, you know, when they were, you know, having a young family and working, it was more convenient for magazines to be delivered to their homes. Uh, where they could just pick it up when they, when they, you know, had a spare moment. But now that they had the time, as Nicole was was mentioning, they could they could go to the library and pick it up. And perhaps at that stage in life too, no longer no longer working, perhaps uh, with a sort of a limited or a fixed income, then the the ability to get magazines for free at the library also um, became important for several of the people we talked to. That that was in fact one of the main things that they liked about um, getting magazines at, at the library, that not only the variety of titles that were available, um, you know, that they never would have been able to access had they had to pay for it, but the very fact that the, the magazines themselves were, were available at, at no charge. If I can just maybe pick up on what Dana was saying, it reminded me too that 
for a, a lot of older adults, they were trying to downsize and ensure that they weren't accumulating more things. And so for them being able to use uh, the library to access magazines and books, for example, was really important so that they weren't, I suppose, cluttering uh, their, their home. So it's, it was really interesting how, you know, such a, a practical matter as, as storage space uh, also factored into their library use as well. Uh, that's definitely interesting because I also hear a lot of people talking about how they have thousands of ebooks uh, because of the space. So <laughs> makes sense to me. Uh, so my last question is maybe a little like speculative, but I was wondering if uh, you two had any thoughts around um, maybe how library usage um, might change as younger generations start aging into older adults. Sure, I really, I, I guess I, I see the kind of role of libraries as a, a community hub continuing to evolve. You know, the library is this key meeting place as a creative space. I, I can only imagine that maker spaces will continue to expand. Um, and, you know, I know different public library systems are, you know, incorporating kitchen spaces into their maker spaces. And, and so I'm excited to see how that will grow and, and evolve with different community needs. And, and I'm, you know, similarly, I think tool libraries as, as well, you know, seed libraries, you know, as we're broadening our, our conceptualization of what collections and materials can look like in libraries. I, I think this will continue to engender a, a lot of support from different communities. And then I, I, I can only imagine that the changes that we'll continue to see, you know, in our kind of political, economic and environmental state will really impact how folks are using the library. You know, as housing prices become, I think, untenable for so many individuals, I can see shared housing becoming more and more popular. And as a result of kind of shared housing or shared living situations, I can see the role of the library as that third place, the place that's not your home, that's not your work, being even more important. You know, it's a place where people can go to escape, perhaps to relax, and it's so key that I think the library is one of those places where there's no expectation of payment. And, and you know, I think with climate change as well, I, I can only imagine that the library being a place that offers some reprieve from the weather, whether that's, as I mentioned before, a really cool, cool weather outside or hot weather outside. I, I can only imagine that the library space will become increasingly crucial for, for more and more individuals. In terms of our the research that we've been um, conducting, um, I mean, we know from other research that younger generations are more likely to use the digital format, right, to read books and magazines uh, right now. Um, so it would be interesting to see to what extent that um, persists as younger users age. Um, and I say that because, um, you know, I don't think we can assume that younger users people who are young now are always going to have the same level of uh, desire to engage with digital technologies or the same level of uh, ability to engage with digital technologies. Um, and I say this because some of the reasons that the people we interviewed uh, shied away from digital magazines, as, as I said before, um, didn't have to do with their technical ability, but had more to do um, with accessibility. Right. So some people we talked to, um, you know, commented on, you know, the screens or the font sizes being um, hard on their vision or with um, like tablets being less comfortable to hold than, than paper magazines. 
And so I think um, if, if those accessibility issues aren't addressed, then we may again in the future see a, um, a drop off or a hesitancy about reading of digital library resources, um, even among those generations who have, have grown up with, with such technologies. Um, and so I think it will be interesting to see how libraries respond to, to different groups and different communities, potentially um, different preferences uh, in terms of reading material, um, you know, not only in the future, but right now. And so, you know, as we move into uh, a different phase of, of the pandemic, uh, like Nicole, I don't think the pandemic's over, but, you know, hopefully eventually as we move into the, the post-pandemic era, um, I think it might be worthwhile for public libraries to look at um, whether and how their, their patrons of different ages are embracing some of the digital technologies um, that in theory are supposed to make those um, library resources more accessible, but uh, that in practice don't always, uh, don't always work that way. Thank you. I really appreciate both of you sharing your research and further thoughts on <laughs> my questions. If people wanted to learn more about the research, what might be the best way for them to find out about you guys? You, if you wanted to learn more, uh, sorry, maybe we'll just cut this before, if you don't mind editing this. Yeah. I, share my, I was going to just share my website. That's yeah, yeah, that's and, totally fine. Uh, and then we could also even talk about, I can't even remember, where's the article coming? Leisure studies or leisure oh, yeah. science? Yeah, sorry, I kind of just threw that in. Leisure studies, and it's the special issue on library, no, on okay, leisure lockdown. Leisure lockdown. Okay, you could talk about your website okay. and then... <laughs> Okay. Should we share our email addresses or is that? If you want, um, I find, I don't know about the universities, but if you want to share their profile on your university page, that's also fine. I can put anything like any links or anything in our show notes if people want to go there. So it's totally up to whatever okay. you two want. Okay. I'll say my website and my email address, I think, because my website for my personal, I mean, my department webpage is like 8 million lines long. To get, to get. Um, okay, so uh, if folks wanted to get in touch with me, this is Nicole speaking. I have a website, nicoledalmer.ca, or I'm happy to receive emails at, at any time. I love talking about this, this topic, and I can be reached at dalmern at mcmaster.ca. And I would also be happy to receive emails and contact from people interested in our, our research. At um, I'm available at dsochuk at wlu.ca. Um, and people might also be interested in looking at the, the written up version of the research results. So we have an article coming out in the new year in a, a journal called Leisure Studies. Uh, and they have a special issue on uh, leisure lockdown. And so um, you can read the full full details of our research, um, again, conducted with Mina Lee as well uh, in that journal. Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Brantford. You can find all the episodes at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB, including the show notes where we list references, share images, and provide resources to continue your exploration of Brantford. We are your hosts, Mandy Samuel, Nathan Etherington, and Zila Ozels. 
This is a podcast in partnership with the Eagle Place Community Association, the Brant Historical Society, and the Brantford Public Library.